1: gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week two is in the books. We are recording in unfamiliar territory. It is not even lunchtime yet, so that's a whole new thing that we got to get used to. But uh, still glad we can get this out, hopefully to the people a little quicker than we did last week. Um, how are you doing? Do you enjoy the, enjoy the games this weekend?
0: The, the only thing that this means with us recording early is that we're not drinking yet. That
1: is true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I thought about it just for the sake of, you know, it all feeling <laughs> right, but now nah, I will uh, abstain. I will abstain. Um, Mike, we do need to talk about these week two games. And really the first thing that we need to talk, talk about is, is we just need to have a quick little conversation that uh, in, in the spirit of honesty and openness and truthfulness with our audience, our picks did not go very well this week. <laughs> Um, we were combined, yeah. We were a combined two and ten against the spread, uh, two and three on totals. Not great, things did not really shake out the way that we did, but that's also good because it means we
0: have a lot to talk about here. Not a great day at the window yesterday, Joey. No, not a great day at the window, not the best, not the best. No, um, so we will, uh, we will
1: keep that in mind and we'll try to get better, but you know. Keep that in mind yourself as you uh, decide whether you want to use our picks or
0: fade them, as it were, uh, in the future. That is that is correct. <laughs> I, I went into I went into yesterday, Joey, eight and three against the spread through two weeks of the college football season. I went a meager two and four yesterday, so it was not great. And both of those bets came from the Notre Dame game, ironically. So that was the only game where I picked winners. The other four bets that I placed were big fat losers, and we'll get into those.
1: Yeah, we're, we'll we'll hit on those. Um, Let's start here, Mike. We recorded our preview Wednesday night and posted Thursday morning, and as fate would have it, it was a few hours after we posted on Thursday morning, we found out that the UNC versus Charlotte game was being canceled. Uh, Charlotte had a COVID outbreak, so that was a whole game with picks and preview and breakdown and all that that we did. That never really came to fruition, so um, again, the uh, the beauty of on-demand audio and this whole
0: platform that we uh, record on. Right. Yeah. So, well, you know, hopefully UNC would have won that game, not completely ruin our weekend. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. I mean, hopefully one of those things that there, there would only ever be so much to talk about coming out of the game anyways. So right um, for what that's worth, UNC Charlotte canceled. We had seven other games in the conference this weekend that we do need to talk about. We'll start off with the headliner. It was the host of college game day, the number 17, Miami hurricanes, 47, the number 18 Louisville Cardinals, 34. And Mike, I, I struggle a little bit to really know what to take away from this game, mostly in, in, in because football is, by its own nature, a zero-sum sport. Um, one team looking good means the other team looks bad, and you don't really know how much is you know column A versus column B. But Miami, needless to say, was the much better team all night, in part because they looked good, but also in part because Louisville, especially on defense, looked horrible horrendous,
0: like horrendous on defense. Yeah. Joey, real bad.
1: I think the simplest word I use to describe it is just disorganized. There were, there were a number of cases where you're watching Louisville defensively and it was like, they didn't know who was covering who. They didn't know their assignments. They were failing to uh, set the edge or, or keep contain. I mean, just some weird things happening. Miami first two plays of the second half, both go for 75 yard touchdowns on a, horrifically blown coverage and a a a a play it was a run play a handoff to Cameron Harris where Louisville's defense was so far out of position that he just he, he went 75 yards untouched so good on Miami for being able to take advantage of these things you know 47 points is not something we've gotten used to seeing from Miami in some of these conference games but at the same time Louisville defensively man it was a nightmare all night an
0: absolute nightmare uh quick aside name that Cunningham Well, it
1: was Mikael. Before that, it was Malik, and now I think it's Malik again.
0: It is Malik again. Yeah. uh, So we're referring, of course, to Louisville quarterback who's changed his name back to Malik. Mm -hmm. So I I, he doesn't know what his first name is, and neither do we. So we're having a lot of trouble keeping up with that. I guess now we're back to Malik Cunningham. Yeah. So want to get that out of the way, Joey? That's. I mean, it's both. Neither. I don't really know. Go ACC? Question mark. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, back to the game. Yeah. Uh, Louisville's defense really bad. I came away really impressed with Miami, Joey. Mm -hmm. I did. Um, you score 47 points. Like you said, you know, we're not accustomed to seeing that out of Miami. And I want to give a lot of credit to Rhett Lashley. Number one, but dear King, number two, right? Because Derek King, we knew that he would make a difference for Miami's offense. The question was how big of a difference would he make? Mm -hmm. Um, He made some throws last night that I didn't think he could make, right? Like, granted, there were Louisville defenders running all over the place. They had no idea. It was like chicken with their head cut off. Like, disorganization is putting it nicely. Um, Guys running wide open. uh, Guys not filling run gaps on defense. Like, the linebacking core was not very good for Louisville last night. Defensive line couldn't get pressure on De'Ara King. Uh, Miami had a lot of success with those quick lateral passes, which is a strength of D.R. King's game, getting it out to the perimeter. Um, He can make those throws all day long. They had a lot of success there because Miami got their skill position players in space. The thing that was interesting early on is that Louisville Louisville doesn't boast a lot of four- and five-star talent relative to Miami, right? So, early on, it was interesting to see, like, Louisville hanging in there. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. like, not totally getting blown out of the stadium and, like, making plays with their athletes who were not on on paper just nearly as good as Miami's, right? And they were mm-hmm. making some plays early in the game. Uh, but talent certainly won out as the game went on. Like, yeah. the more you got Miami skill position players in space, the more you saw the talent disparity as the game went on, right? Like, Miami's just got a better roster than Louisville at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Our, our question coming into this game what, was, what would be more impactful? Miami's lack of a passing game, which I think in hindsight, we probably should have, should not have given this as much thought as we did, but Miami's lack of a passing game and being as one dimensional as they were against UAB versus Louisville's defense. Mm -hmm. Right. And like how, how badly would Louisville's defense play, um, relative to Miami being one dimensional. Right. So that was kind of like the, the thing that we were watching in the preview. Yeah. Um, what bared out quickly was that miami's just a lot better (laughs) like that's kind of what happened right i mean cameron harris nine carries 134 yards he mentioned that 75 yard touchdown run that accounted for a lot of that but he was really good all night brevin jordan seven catches for 120 yards will mallory he ended up only having one catch for 17 yards he had that one long pass catch called back um that was going to set up miami inside the louisville five yard line he had like a i don't know it was 55 or 60 yard catch that got called back mm-hmm. uh, but he was really good he was a he was a problem he was really good blocking for miami last night too which probably won't be talked about much at all um and then again D. R. king 18 of 30, 325, and three touchdowns on the other side i thought louisville's offense looked pretty good and and i think this is a good miami defense joey i mm-hmm. really do mm-hmm. um cunningham throws for three touchdowns 370 yards Javion hawkins Twenty seven carries for 164 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Two two out well, another really nice game. Eight catches for one fourteen and two scores. So like Louisville's offense is really good. Their defense is just so bad that they're going to have to score forty points in almost every game to come out with better than like six wins. Like that's how bad that defense looked last night. But yeah. On the flip side, I think really I think really highly of Miami. I think Miami's really good, Joey. So we'll I, have to see how that pans out.
1: I still have my questions. I mean, I still saw some deep ball accuracy issues with the Eric King and, and some things. I don't think that's a fully complete offense uh, at this point just yet. He looked really good in the passing game. And certainly if you look at the numbers, they look really good. But again, it's an issue of did Louisville really do a whole lot to make it tough for him? I mean, I don't know that the King had to make more than a couple of tough throws all night um, that, that he actually did end up making. So um, I, I don't believe that Miami is a fully complete picture at this point, but at the same time, I mean, Cameron Harris going nine carries for 134 yards. <laughs> that ain't bad. That ain't bad. And, and, no. and for what it's worth, too, I mean, part of the discussion coming in, and I don't know that we really specifically hit on this, but part of the discussion is Miami's talent versus Louisville's coaching. Like, we, we saw last year what happened to the Louisville team as soon as they started getting some good coaching. Um, and Miami, for all their talent, for years, it's been a coaching issue. I'm not sure that that's as much of an issue right now as it has been in the past. I, I mean, clearly Agreed. what Brett Lashley is doing with that offense is, is good coaching. He called a really good game for that offense last night. Um, so, I, you know, hats off to Miami. They played a great game, and and they earned every, every bit of that big win that they got. The thing I was going to mention about Louisville's offense, and you're right that they – generally were able to move the ball throughout the game. There were a couple of spurts where they kind of struggled to get, get going. Louisville's offensive line was having all sorts of a hell of a time trying to block Miami's defensive front. Um, and some of that could be, well, it's you know Quincy Roche and, and some of those guys that are – and Jalen Phillips and some of these guys that are really talented and they won't see an offensive line quite that good for most of the year or a defensive line that's quite that good for most of the year. But at the same time, man, like – Offensive linemen were just getting pushed around. They, they were having little success trying to protect. Um, you know, I felt like the Louisville coaching staff had to get pretty creative to even put the offensive line in a situation where they could even remotely do their jobs at a lot of points in this game. So um, I guess this is what happens when you go from being an absolutely dreadful offensive line one year to being pretty functional the next year to then losing one player drafted like 12th overall in the NFL draft – and now you're trying to put the pieces together again. And maybe it's just, you just don't have that, that one guy that you needed uh, to, to be able to stop rushers coming off the edge, this, that, and the other thing. So it long, it, all to say, it felt like they were really missing the Beckton last night.
0: Um, yes, I would agree.
1: So I, you know, I, I think Louisville offensively again, is going to be okay. Defensively. It was, it, it was almost uncharacteristically poor coaching. I mean, I can't get the image out of my head, Mike, of the Jalen Knighton 75-yard touchdown pass that, I don't know if it was the first or the second one of the second half, to start the second half, but D'Erik King fakes a handoff on a, on a zone read and and now drops the pass, and Jalen Knighton runs straight past three Louisville defenders who are all staring a hole through D'Erik King, and D'Erik King just flips the ball up to Jalen Knighton is maybe a 20-yard throw, and he just takes it the whole way. Like, that level of, like, you don't know who your man is, or you're so distracted trying to keep Derek King from running, which, for what it's worth, they did. De'Aric King finishes the game with eight carries for nine yards. Like, he, you know, if you told me that coming in, I would have bet the house on Louisville. Like, right? I right. Like they would have had to use his le- legs, but they didn't. You know, so, a good game for Miami, poor game for Louisville's off, uh, defense in general curious to see where this takes us, but Miami seems to definitely be solving some issues that they had had in previous years.
0: Yeah. Um, hammer Miami next Saturday against Florida state. Yes.
1: Ooh, I mean, what's ooh, that going to be like
0: 17? I, I, ooh, I don't know. Um, it's going to be large. I mean, it would not surprise me if it was outside two scores. I mean, Florida State's not going to have Mike Norvell coaching either. Yeah. So That's an take little, that for what it's worth. he little COVID.
1: tidbit that we got on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> for for those who haven't heard Mike Norvell, Florida State's new head coach, uh, tested positive for COVID. Now he's in uh in isolation and will not be coaching his team next week as they play their arch rival, the Miami Hurricanes. So, yeah. That probably didn't help anything.
0: Now, and everybody everybody getting mad saying, "Oh, uh, you know, the U is not back, etc." Like, yeah, agree. The U is not back, but like that's we can't dismiss them and say that they're not good because yeah. I think through two weeks it's safe to say that they're solving some issues that they've had now for Better part of the last five years, and now that you know they have a better defense and a more functional offense. So, I, you know, they're going to figure some stuff out here. And the real question, the real test for Miami is going to come when teams really take away the run, Mm -hmm. and then you force D'Aaron King to throw the ball deep down the field. That's going to be when we're going to answer a lot of questions about how good Miami is.
1: Well, and I believe they get Clemson two weeks after the Florida State game, so. Mark that on your calendar, because that's going to be a good one to yep. watch.
0: Yep, for sure. Really We're going really to learn see, a lot there.
1: If you really want to see what Miami's offense is capable of here with Derek King and Rhett Lashley and all that, that's a good one to watch.
0: Yep, for sure. Athletes everywhere.
1: <laughs> Miami 47, Louisville 34. Let's keep moving, Mike. Number 25, Pittsburgh 21, Syracuse 10. And once again, in terms of games that the final score is not really indicative of how close it was, uh, this one qualifies. 11-point uh, final margin is not anywhere... Like, Pitt was clearly a way better team than Syracuse was here. Syracuse benefited from kind of one long catch-and-run on a busted coverage to score their lone touchdown of the game. Pitt had a lot of shenanigans surrounding trying to finish drives and field goal kicking and all sorts of things that they sh- they should have scored another 10 to 15 points in this game easily. I I don't know if I'm really all that... Feeling great about Pittsburgh, they kind of feel like they are what they were last year, um, which is, you know, above average in the ACC, which is good. But I don't see Pitt taking the next step this year. It seems like a lot of the things that plagued them uh, in year one uh, with a new offensive coordinator under Mark Whipple still kind of plagued them in in year two. Kenny Pickett still kind of is the guy that he is. The defense is still excellent and and gives people a lot of problems. I almost feel like more what we take away from this game, Mike, is Syracuse is pretty dreadful this year.
0: Yeah, Syracuse is really bad. I I think it was Alex Kirshner, um, formerly Banner Society and SB Nation, now doing all sorts of other college football stuff because SB Nation decided they were going to lay off pretty much everybody. Um, But I think he mentioned that uh, it took a while, but Pittsburgh has now turned into Michigan State, Mm -hmm. which I think could not be more accurate. That's Um, really good. Syracuse is really bad in this game. They had 34 carries for 51 yards. That was really awful. Tommy DeVito, he was pulled in the third quarter, and rightfully so. He was 9 of 15 for 32 yards and an interception, which was really bad. Uh, Rex Culpepper came in. He wasn't much better. He was 4 of 9 for 88 yards. Uh, but yeah, I mean, some special teams gaffes, some missed field goals for Pittsburgh. You talk about Pittsburgh having to score like 10 or 15 more points. That would have been really nice because if Pittsburgh had done that, they would have covered the spread. That's correct. Um, and they did, they did not do that, Joey. Um, in fact, they only won by 11. I had Pitt minus 21, and I can't figure out if I should be more mad at Pittsburgh or myself for allowing that to happen. Um, that's something I'll be wrestling with here on this Sunday as I watch the NFL games. Yep. Um, Pittsburgh's running game, Joey. Still bad. As a team. Still, yeah. Still still pretty bad. The uh, law firm of Davis is Davis, as you've coined it, Joey. <laughs> um, really really poor um to the tune of 29 carries for 90 yards between the two of them
1: just a shade over three yards per carry not ideal
0: right and pittsburgh as a team when you factor in sacks and everything else um 44 carries for 127 yards and a touchdown and for those keeping score at home that is a shade under three yards per carry that's 2.9 yards per carry that was not very good Mm -hmm. um i've been pretty impressed with kenny pickett through two weeks i can't believe i'm saying that but Look, he throws for 300 yards. He played Austin P last week, right? So he throws for 300 yards in that game. Really efficient. Um, pretty efficient again yesterday. The only problem is that Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh's playmakers on the outside, they catch the ball, and then that's it. <laughs> where The point where they catch it is where they're getting tackled, Joey. Somebody needs to tell them it's football, not ultimate Frisbee. Cor- <laughs> that's correct. Y- you don't catch the ball and then stop right there. <laughs> um, Pittsburgh's wide receivers seem to think that that's a thing. So um, Kenny Pickett could use a little bit more help from his playmakers. He's completing a lot of passes. His guys aren't necessarily getting loose after the catch. And um, that's going to put a ceiling on Pittsburgh's offense, as we kind of talked about in the preseason. Overall, though, I, I think we answer a lot more questions about how bad Syracuse is rather than how good Pittsburgh is. Um, Pittsburgh blows out Austin P last week. We didn't really learn anything. Um, they come into this game yesterday, and they look kind of sloppy. Um, it was very similar to Notre, the Notre Dame Duke game last week, where like there was no doubt that Notre Dame was going to win the game, and that they had the better team, but they just kind of looked sloppy. And there's some things that they could clean up. That's kind of how I feel about Pittsburgh after yesterday. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I will say, give Syracuse's defense their credit because I think we're seeing through two weeks, like whatever their offense is and the issues that they have, and as little as as little help as they give the defense in terms of moving the ball and staying on the field and all that. Syracuse's defense is legit pretty decent. Like, they cause some problems. They don't give up big plays. They're going to make you work your way down the field. They're going to, you know, send pressure into the backfield. Like, they they do some really good things defensively. Um, It's just that the offense, man, I mean, Tommy DeVito gets sacked seven times again in this game. (laughs) Like, something has not been fixed there, clearly. Um, Right. So Syracuse still has major issues offensively. I was going to point out, Mike, they, uh, they scored their lone touchdown of the game in the first half on – it was a, a nice 69-yard uh, pass, but really what that broke down to was like a 30-yard throw into complete blown coverage, like maybe one b- broken tackle and then just a, a long catch and run kind of situation. I think it was about 40 yards after the catch for Taj Harris. Um, that 69-yard play, take that out – Syracuse ran another 57 plays for 102 yards. Not good. Not good. So, um, pretty disappointed, you know, in in what the Syracuse offense is here. Thought there was going to be a lot of improvement. Really, really not seeing it. I don't know how Tommy DeVito completes nine passes for 32 yards in the game. But that's that's a whole thing. So, in any case, uh, Pitt's offense, I still have issues with Kenny Pickett I mean you come away from this game throwing 36 passes for 215 yards uh, you know a solid six yards per attempt like that is not that is not efficient to me even even 25 completions coming away less than nine yards per completion like this is still you know check down Kenny Pickett I I, so I don't love this offense but I think you are absolutely right now it's Kirshner is absolutely right that this is Calling this team Michigan State is probably the absolute perfect uh, characterization of what Pittsburgh is here in, in year, what, five, six under Pat Narduzzi? So not in love with Pittsburgh any more than I ever was, um, but Syracuse definitely, I mean, they're going to benefit from a kind of a soft schedule because we looked at this before we came on here, but I I mean, I don't know how many games Syracuse
0: is going to really have a chance to win if they can't move the ball any better than this agree um can we talk real quick about tommy devito having a 7.8 qbr i'm pretty sure <laughs> if you spike the ball every every down you have a higher qbr than that so that's spike just something factor. yeah a little spike factor um so not great for mm-hmm. tommy devito mm-hmm. there's a bit that's a big reason why he was pulled joey he was really bad
1: taj harris though pretty good i like him he's a good he's a good ball player
0: yes agree agree so. agree three, three catches 72 yards and a touchdown um pretty much accounted for all of Syracuse's passing yards yesterday yeah but that's neither here nor there
1: that's right uh Pittsburgh 21 Syracuse 10 we'll keep moving here Mike Boston College 26 Duke 6 the Eagles kicking off the Jeff Hathley era with a bang uh Phil Jerkovic uh looked pretty good 17 to 23 for 300 yards a couple of touchdowns and a pick um I think the thing that I'm honestly most excited about with this Boston College team, top to bottom, is Zay Flowers. My goodness, he is good. He is a problem.
0: Yeah, you tweeted either from the show account or from your personal account um, about Zay Flowers, and you were like, insert social distancing joke here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Boston College's receiving core was just running wide open for a lot of the day. Zay Flowers, five catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown. Zay Flowers, come on down. Baby. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good. Speaking of uh, guys who don't just stop when they catch the ball. like Right. Or just uses that to their advantage. He had that speed out that he ran. He catches the ball, stops on a dime, and sent one of Duke's defenders flying into the bench. Goes full Reggie
1: Bush on the back juke. Oh, my gosh. Uh-oh.
0: Dear God. Um, so I, I mentioned this to you before we hit record, Joey. Zay Flowers reminds me a lot of Jameson Crowder when he was at Duke. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar type player. I think Zay Flowers might be a little bit more explosive, but it's the same sort of feel when I'm watching him play the game. Like, turns those 5-10 to 10 yard routes into 15, 20, 25 yard gains, yep. like, in a heartbeat. Um, and yeah, made Phil Drakovic look really good. Um but, you know, he looked pretty good in his own right. He was 17-23 for 300 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. So he was a four-star quarterback going into Notre Dame before he transferred to BC, and we saw why yesterday. He was really solid. Anytime you throw for 300 yards when you're playing for Boston College, it means you're not that bad of a quarterback, Joey. Yeah. Um, because we have not seen that too often out of Boston College, really since Matt Ryan. I was going to say, love you, uh, Matt Ryan. Played. Yes. Yeah, shout out Matt Ryan. Um. So, yeah, I, I, look. BC running the football, though? Yuck. (sighs) Yuck. Think they were missing A.J. Dillon? I don't know if A.J. Dillon could have run behind this offensive line. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, real bad. David Bailey, 18 carries for 51 yards. Not great. Not great. Entire team, 42 carries for 84 yards. Joey, that is two yards per carry. Yikes. That also includes the six sacks that Duke came up with on Phil
1: Dracovic. So, Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. So, yeah. Here's the thing. So big, big Zay Flowers guys here. Uh, love watching him. He he was a joy to watch. The thing is with this Boston College passing attack, like the numbers look really effective. Twelve of those seventeen completions went for two hundred and fifty-five yards and two scores to Zay Flowers and Hunter Long. Like two guys did all of that in the receiving core. So. I question a little bit and credit to Duke's defense a little bit in that nobody really had any idea what we were going to see from this Boston College offense like schematically or, or there was no tape of anything. Um, so hard to prepare for that. But at the same time, I mean, I wondered if defense is moving forward, if you can find a solution for Zay Flowers and then just make sure to cover Hunter Long like now, who are you throwing
0: to right Right. At least, you know, based off of yesterday's tape, I mean, that seems like Boston College's two best playmakers. Mm-hmm. And we've seen we've seen in the past that David Bailey as a running back has been pretty good, right? he's He was spelling A.J. Dillon last year, and, and a lot of times he had to start over him because A.J. Dillon was pretty banged up. It mm-hmm. looked pretty good. The issue is that BC's offensive line was bad. Mm-hmm. And Joey, the thing about Boston College, too, is like, not a lot of people expected this offensive line to be bad. Like, BC coming into the year looked like on paper, it had a top five unit up front in the entire ACC. Mm-hmm. And they look like a bottom five unit after yesterday, at least run blocking. Pass protection, I thought, for the most part was okay. But Duke was still able to get after filterkovic, like like you mentioned, like he was sacked a number of times. Um, he had to get the ball out quickly. Just something to monitor. Like, BC's offensive line was not expected to be this bad, but that's kind of where we're at with things. So it's just something to keep an eye on. But I come away from this game just, like, wondering what Duke's going to be and how many wins they're going to have. And um, Pete Berthodt, he's a Virginia Tech podcaster, so shout-out Pete, um, mentioned that David Cutcliffe is 10-26 in ACC play over his last five seasons, which... A lot of people wouldn't necessarily expect that, but Duke has been quietly pretty bad now Mm -hmm. in ACC play for a number of years using that non-conference schedule to prop them up. Mm -hmm. Something that you and I have talked about a lot on this podcast.
1: We're going to, we're going to get a really interesting look. I think at Boston colleges, uh, especially their offensive line, but their offense in general, Um, Mike, I don't know if you realize this, but there's like a seven-game stretch in the middle of the season. So Boston College now next week will host Texas State. And then following that, there is a seven-game stretch where they play against North Carolina, Pittsburgh, at Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, at Clemson, at Syracuse, home against Notre Dame. That's like seven of probably the eight best defenses in the conference. Yep. With the exception of Miami. (laughs) Like... So if you can do it yeah. against them, you know, you'll have our, 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 faith and our respect, but right until then, um, yeah, you know, good start for Boston college. Curious to see how much it can carry through, especially as we start to get like literally any film on what they're doing on offense. Um, I do want to talk about Duke here for a second, Mike, uh, turn the ball over five times, chase Bryce with two picks and he lost a fumble. Um, that wasn't great. Um, not great. This Duke team just in general offensively not not a good performance after they seemingly held their own last week against Notre Dame. This was not a good look against a decidedly average at best Boston College defense I would say.
0: Right. Right. I mean, this isn't <laughs> this isn't a traditional like Steve Adasio like defense, but Jeff Halfley made it look so as so yesterday because, you know, credit BC's defense for how they played, but mm-hmm. Duke's offense through two weeks has not been very good, Joey. I mean, yeah. even against Notre Dame, it, it was kind of ugly. So,
1: Well, it's clear, too. I mean, as, as the game wore on and, and they started digging themselves a bigger and bigger hole, I mean, it was 7-6 to six at halftime, and then Boston College really started to pull away with a couple of huge plays in the, in the second half. Um, I, I think Duke had to get out of their game plan a little bit and throw it a little more than they wanted to. I mean, they were, they were reasonably effective running the ball, but Chase Bryce throwing 42 passes and coming away with 217 yards –
0: Yuck, not yuck, great. yuck, yuck.
1: Yeah, real bad, actually. One of those picks that he threw was not what you expect to see from a, a grad transfer senior-level quarterback. I mean, maybe we can kind of tell a little bit that he hasn't played that many live reps against good teams at Clemson, but, I mean, eh, maybe it gets better. I, I hope it gets better for Duke, but <laughs> not not a not a, uh, not a great showing here in a lot of ways in this game, I felt like.
0: Yeah, wouldn't count on it from Duke. I'm not too optimistic about how things are going to look for them the rest of the season.
1: Yep. Boston College 26, Duke 6. Once again, the uh, Jeff Halfley era in Chestnut Hill gets off to a good start. So, good on you, Boston College.
0: Good hire. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Uh, last conference game, Mike. NC State 45, Wake 42. What a, a shootout game this was. Uh, this went down to the wire A lot of scoring, very back and forth, Um, interesting game to watch to say the least, Uh, starting with the fact that NC State was going to come out with starting quarterback Devin Leary, who then proceeded to not play at all in favor of Bailey Hockman, who was the starter and the primary quarterback the entire game. He finishes 16-23 for 191, a touchdown and a pick. I mean, overall, NC State, I felt like, moved the ball here pretty well. Just kind of a weird decision that... Devin Leary previously announced as the starter, and now all of a sudden, game one, he's not starting.
0: Yeah, this is fun. So David Hale from ESPN tweeted out last night, a um, couple minutes before 730, word is that Devin Leary, who Dave Doran has pronounced as the NC State starter all off season, was, quote, not the most ready, end quote, quarterback this week. So, Hawkman gets the start. Leary is active and available. Mm. Um, like you mentioned, Leary did not play a single snap. Bailey Hawkman looked like Trevor Lawrence in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, finishes 16 of 23 for 191 yards, touchdown, and an interception. Um, they will take that 100 times out of 100 if mm-hmm. that's the quarterback play they're going to get this year. They didn't have anything close to that last year yeah. at quarterback. Um, so, shout out Bailey Hawkman. Really nice performance there. Um, shout out NC State rushing attack. As a team, North Carolina State carries the ball 49 times for 270 yards and four touchdowns.
1: Yeah,
0: Ricky Person led the way there, 14 for 99 and two touchdowns. Zonovan Knight, 11 for 97 and a touchdown as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Bailey Hawkman had a touchdown run. He had 30 yards on eight carries. So, um, yeah, shout out NC State running the football. Wake Forest rushing defense doesn't exist.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so let's start here. NC State, this is a good game. Well played. Yeah, I thought it was well coached. I, I thought I, I thought NC State did really well here. I am not an NC State hater, Mike. They are. I thought they were good. This looked good. Wake Forest, big yikes! Big yikes! Big yikes! Um, got way outgained in terms of yards per play. Um, uh, defensively, I mean, it's weird to think that this defense is going to have a guy drafted in the first two rounds in Boogie Basham. Um, he is a legit great pass rusher. Then there's a whole bunch of other guys that play for them. They are not legit good (laughs) much, it seems like. Um, This defense had a ton of problems all night. NC State was able to pretty much run the ball at will, as you kind of outlined there. I mean, again, Ricky Person and Bam Knight combining for 25 carries, nearly 200 yards, and three touchdowns. That's not really what you would call a a stifling defensive performance. Um, Wake Forest, by the way, also gives up six sacks in this game uh, to a pretty good NC State front, maybe by a – questionable to poor Wake Forest front. Um, Wake Forest runs the ball 49 times for 149 yards. That's right at three yards per carry. Again, not ideal. Um, there's just something different. And, and we were talking about this a little bit, Mike, is that there's just something a little bit different about Wake Forest's offense when you don't have Jamie Newman, you don't have Sage Surratt, you don't have Cade Carney. Like, there is a lot of guys that had to be replaced here. And, and Sam Hartman, you know put in a yeoman's effort here like did what he could but he is not the dynamic playmaker that jamie newman was we noticed this two years ago when sam yep. hartman couldn't play a game jamie newman comes in all of a sudden the offense is way more effective and it was like wait where has this been
0: right right no no totally totally right like two years ago you know wake forest was decent throughout the first half of the season you know we saw him against Tulane in the opener we're like okay sam hartman looks fine you know and they got in a weird shootout game with Tulane, and We're like, all right, well, Sam Hartman looks like a a decent quarterback, a guy who's um, going to come in, replace John Wolford, and be good enough. Um, But then, you know, halfway through the season, Sam Hartman gets hurt, and Jamie Newman comes in. And like you mentioned, it's just a totally different offensive identity for Wake Forest. Like, when you have that kind of playmaker at quarterback they had in Jamie Newman, the offense just inherently looks a lot different. When you have that passing and rushing threat, and efficient on both counts, which is what Jamie Newman was, like the offense does look markedly different and like Wake Forest doesn't have that this year and it's showing. Yeah, right. It's showing through two games. Now, granted, game one was against Clemson, but you put 42 points against NC State, you know, in theory, that should be enough to win the game. You know, you and I both took Wake Forest to win this game. I took them. I bet on them yesterday. I bet on Wake Forest. I got it plus one because the money line wasn't available. Um, Quick aside, I try to bet on the day of games this year. Ordinarily, I'd I tell you, hey, try to get a good number early in the week. But with COVID and everything else, you don't know who's going to be playing, who's not. I try to bet as close to Saturday as possible now because I just think it's going to be swinging too much in either direction. Anyway, I took Wake plus one. I felt actually decent about it as the game kind of progressed. Didn't feel good about it in the first quarter. Felt better as the game kind of went on. Um, But Wake Forest defense is just really problematic. And, And the NC State defense wasn't much better. These are two of the worst defenses in the ACC that we saw on display yesterday. So for as good as NC State was offensively, I do wonder to a degree how much this was of each team being bad defensively, propping each other up and making the offenses look better, Joey. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, NC State, give them credit because they couldn't get into a shootout last year. Yeah, They weren't good enough offensively to even get Into a shootout against a bad defense, mm-hmm. we're there now with Bailey Hockman, I guess, being the starting quarterback. I thought it was Devin Leary, I guess it's not now. Zero sum game, Mike. It's a zero sum game.
1: Um, and I-, I think we should probably point out too, Wake Forest had the ball with like a minute to go with a chance to go down and win the game. Like, I, I don't want to sit here and act like Wake Forest got completely blown out here and just didn't even belong in the same field. Like, this was a competitive back and forth game, as we mentioned. It's just that. It, it also kind of felt like Wake was hanging on to a degree for a lot of the game. Um, I mean, NC State goes up pretty big early on and, and Wake comes back. And then, but it, it felt like it was chasing as much as anything. Um, and they almost caught him a couple times, but not, you know, never really kind of could get, get over the hump there. So I, I think NC State, the, the running game is the thing that I am going to latch on to as much as anything. I mean, any good Dave Doran team historically over the last decade has had a good running rushing attack and it seems like the one-two punch of, of Ricky Person and, and Bam Knight is going to be a, a thing to really hang on to there for this team as they go through the season. But, I mean, if you want to look at the schedule here, Mike, real quick, uh, coming up for NC State at Virginia Tech and then at Pittsburgh. So hmm. Hmm. Good defenses. Defense we feel a lot better about, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll get a, a little bit better perspective, I think, on uh, NC State and how this offense is, how effective this offense is here over the next few weeks.
0: Uh, yep. Now, if this offense continues on this path, then we're going to be thinking a lot better about NC State. Um, we're going to be a bit more optimistic, I think. Yeah. And this is the offense they put out on a weekly basis.
1: Meanwhile, coming off of this loss and just kind of seeing some of the struggles that they had, it's this has the makings of what looks like it might just be a totally lost season for Wake Forest. Um, I mean, they have a game left against Campbell. They go to Syracuse, who's got their own issues. They go to Duke, who's got their own issues. But, I mean... Notre Dame, Virginia, Virginia Tech, UNC, Miami, and Louisville.
0: Mm, those the, seem like losses.
1: How many of those games you feel good about Wake's chances in? Um, so, I might go with zero. <laughs> yeah. So I, this is where I, I picked Wake low. It was partially, you know, thinking it was going to be a, a a tough year for them, but also. It's a pretty
0: brutal schedule for what is kind of looking like a rebuilding year.
1: Um, not not a lot of uh, chances to steal one. I don't feel like for Wake Forest. So,
0: agree. Outside of UVA, uh, Wake probably had the other toughest schedule in the ACC. Yeah. Looking at it on paper. Yeah. So.
1: Exactly. NC State forty five, Wake Forest forty two. Let's talk about a little bit of non conference action, Mike. As the number fourteen UCF Knights beat my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets by a final score of forty nine to twenty one. Uh, Another game here where I don't feel like the final score was fully indicative of how close this game was. I mean, it was 28-21 at one point early in the fourth quarter, and Georgia Tech really hung in there. It was pretty pretty competitive for a lot of it, but it totally got away with them. I mean, the dam broke in the same way that we saw it break for Syracuse against UNC last week. Um, Top to bottom, I mean, I felt like as as much as this was a blowout and it was kind of a sloppy game a, a lot of times for Georgia Tech, I still saw a lot of good signs. Um, there's still some developing going on, and I I, I like what I see from Jeff Sims. Largely, several freshman moments happened in this game in terms of bad interceptions and ball security issues and, you know, lots of things going on. Not to mention you're playing against a UCF team that is really talented offensively. Um, It seems like they got into a rhythm fairly early on, and uh, the defense came out from halftime with some, some good adjustments made, but I mean, this was kind of a struggle for Georgia Tech to hang on again, and and especially without some of their best defensive players, it was, it was a, a pretty, uh, pretty steep hill to climb, we'll say. But overall, I mean, rough game for Georgia Tech. This is maybe one of the three or four best teams they're going to play all year. Um, I don't think we really should have reasonably expected a win in retrospect. Only needing seven and a half points on the spread might not have quite been enough, Mike. <laughs> um, <laughs> nope. But um, you know we got uh, a good, we got a good first look at Jameer Gibbs in this game. He returns the opening kickoff like seventy yards, and then uh, had a couple of really nice catches out of the backfield. A few nice runs too in the running game. So a lot of good signs. Very clearly not a finished product yet, especially on offense. Really could use getting guys like Trace Willing and Antonius Clayton back on defense. Um, you know, a number of starters are missing this game. So I. I don't know, lots of thoughts about this, but generally generally pretty okay with what I saw, considering the final score and and how much it got away from them at the end. But, um, you know, still some things to build on here.
0: Yeah, Syracuse-North Carolina game last week is a great comparison, where, like, Syracuse hung around, and then North Carolina just kind of blew the doors off of them in the fourth quarter. That's basically what happened here. Like, Georgia Tech hung around despite having however many turnovers they had, Joey. Was it five?
1: Five, yeah, that's Uh, right.
0: Yeah, yeah, five turnovers. Um Jeff Sims, so there were a couple of big-time freshman moments. You mentioned the two interceptions. He got away with that fumble that got overturned that UCF scored on that didn't end up being a touchdown. He got away with that one. Um, The thing I worry about with Jeff Sims a little bit, and I want to just kind of couch this a little bit. Like, number one, Jeff Sims is probably outside Jameer Gibbs, who I was really impressed with yesterday, is probably the best playmaker that Georgia Tech has Mm -hmm. right now. Um, Just given all the – yeah, offensively, given all the upside – Um, So really good player can't take him off the field. He's going to be really good for Georgia tech for the years to come. Freshman moments. Right. And it's not even the turnovers that bothered me. It was the hits that he was taking. Yeah. He got popped a couple times, Joey Mm -hmm. on plays that were easily avoidable. He needs to learn how to either slide or get out of bounds, just not take those hits because Joey, we saw the issues that Georgia Tech had a quarterback last year. They cannot afford for Jeff Sims to get hurt. They can't. No, no. Um, so much of their offense through two games has been because of Jeff Sims' ability, uh, both in the running game and the passing game, and to extend plays. Like if you take that element out, Georgia Tech is all of a sudden a two-win team again. You mm-hmm. cannot, you cannot take him off the field. So he needs to do a better job of avoiding those hits, et cetera. That's something that I'm sure the coaching staff will work with him on. It's something that he needs to figure out. Otherwise, he's not going to last a full season like some of the hits he was taking yesterday made me concerned that he won't make it through October.
1: Yeah. So, he I mean, um, he's, he's, he's a 6'3 215 frame. It's not like built to take that kind of punishment.
0: Right. Um reminds me of Hendon Hooker a little bit before I mean a much more like athletic, faster Hendon Hooker. Before Hendon Hooker put a little bit more weight on his frame for Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Like tall and lanky, really athletic, pretty fast, can sling it all over the field. I mean, that's Jeff Sims. Um who was also a four-star quarterback. Yep. So, yeah, so, like, a lot of similarities there. Uh, but, yeah, that's what concerns me about Jeff Sims. And then, like, he's got to clean up some of his mechanics. A lot of this is just being a freshman. He had a lot of throws high yesterday. He missed high over the middle of the mm-hmm. field, which at the pro level will absolutely kill you. At the college level, you can get away with it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he missed high in the middle of the field a lot, and a lot of those plays were on t- kind of, like, rollouts or kind of scramble-type plays where he didn't set his feet. He's got to figure that out, too, because he's going to have some costly turnovers if he continues that trend. Um, But overall, like with Georgia Tech having all these defenders out of the game because of COVID and injury, et cetera, like they hung in there for a while. Dylan Gabriel for UCF was outstanding. I mean, he's just a really, really good player. and. They got playmakers everywhere, and they're a really good team. So Mm -hmm. the better team won in this game, but overall, I'm with you. I'm optimistic about what Georgia Tech will look like throughout the rest of the season as a result of what I've seen here in the first two weeks, even with a blowout loss yesterday.
1: I think one of the more notable things for me in this game, watching Jeff Sims and his play, was last week against Florida State, he did not get rattled as the game went on and even made a couple mistakes. He did not retain his composure as well in this game. No, I agree. As this game wore on, you started to see – the, the uh, you know, a, f- a couple of cracks in, in the foundation there of, you know, him just from a mental standpoint and trying to make good decisions and keep his head in the game. So that's something to work on for sure. Um, I, I thought it was really uh, comforting, you know, or, or really good to see he completes 18 passes to a whole slew of receivers. So they're getting a lot of different guys involved in the passing game. I think that's a good sign, something, you know, good to hang on to. The other good thing, Somehow, with all the pressure and all the issues that they had on offense at times during this game, they come away with this game, Jeff Sims never got sacked once. That's that's a pretty good showing considering where this offensive line was a year ago and, and you know some of the talent that UCF had coming at them. So that's a good sign, I felt like. So there are some positives here. Uh, defensively, they had a ton of issues with... Uh, UCF's receiving core in particular. I mean, Marlon Williams caused a lot of issues, 10 catches for 154 yards and two scores. Some of it was was size and physicality. Some of it you could maybe chalk up to some questionable officiating and what, what was being called and not called at times. Um, part of it, though, that was really kind of concerning for me was seeing the occasional, again, blown coverages and defensive breakdowns. That was something that was really kind of a theme in a lot of games across the ACC this weekend. And something that Georgia Tech, I felt like, has done pretty well at avoiding since Jeff Collins took over, and, and Andrew Thacker's been running that defense, but uh, there were some blown coverages, and there were some kind of missed assignments in this game defensively like we've not really gotten used to seeing, and I think some of that you could probably chalk up to UCF's tempo, uh, that they run really quick, and, uh, you know, kind of trying to get organized, make sure everyone's running the same play can can be a challenge when, when you're not used to that, but... You know, got to make sure that the defense is more organized and that guys are on the same page there because that can get really messy and cause a lot of problems as soon as it it doesn't work out that way.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that assessment. I mean, I think overall, like you mentioned, that you took Georgia Tech in the over this year for two and a half wins. I think coming away, you have to feel pretty good about that. Still, even with this loss to UCF, I mean, I think there's too many positives through the first two weeks to take away from Georgia Tech's play to not feel optimistic about that. I mean, they've just been playing too well.
1: All I'll say, Mike, is I really, really hope we're having the same conversation about that optimism on the win total when we recap
0: the Syracuse game next week. Mm-hmm. Because if they find a way to lose to Syracuse, now then all problems. bets are off. Yeah, now we got problems. All bets are off.
1: Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, some of these teams we've talked about, they have games left at Syracuse. Uh, later in October, they're at Boston College. Uh, later on, You know, the last two games they play are home against Duke and at NC State. None of those teams we have a lot of real good confidence in right now. So again, a chance for Georgia Tech to kind of pull it all together and make some noise this year in the
0: ACC potentially. It's opportunities there. Yeah, at least get over two and a half so you can win some money. That's right. Exactly. That's all I need. I just need
1: three and then we're good. Yeah. So um, that's. I think that's all I got on this game. I mean, I, I'll drop in here too, just just for the sake of uh, being complete and 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 really kind of giving my full assessment, A, special teams at Georgia Tech, something that we need to talk about at some point because, you know, for a coaching staff that says that they spend a lot, like an inordinate amount of effort in practice and such on special teams, Georgia Tech special teams are an absolute adventure in the worst ways a lot of times. Um, Multiple, you know, again, had another kick blocked this week. Uh, Some of the coverage stuff on kickoffs and punts has been a mess so I, I still have a lot of issues with that, A. And then B, I don't know why Georgia Tech agreed to let AAC officials come referee this game, but my goodness, like, it, was, it was turning into like a fan revolt kind of situation in, at the stadium because of some pretty horrific missed calls or, or just general bad calls. Um, I won't go any further into that. I, that's not the reason Georgia Tech lost this game. It's just a, a note of kind of the game-watching experience got really irritating from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're irritated about the stupid turnovers and then you see some tough calls go against you on top of that, as a fan, it's hard not to be frustrated with it. Yeah. So I get that.
1: Can't I get catch that. a break, like, at all. So uh, UCF 49, Georgia Tech 21. Uh, two more games, Mike. And by the way, this is this is the end of games where the ACC team gave up points. So a couple of shutouts here. Uh, your Notre Dame fight Irish, number seven in the country, scored 52 points. South Florida scored none. Uh, Notre Dame took care of business, making sure that they – Covered and went over at the end. Um, Scored on a fourth down late in the fourth quarter, but otherwise, I mean, Ian Book with three touchdown runs, which is kind of a strange thing I never thought I'd be saying. Um, But Notre Dame just top to bottom, had no problems in this game. South Florida, not that good. Game one under Jeff Scott. I mean, I don't know how much to say here, Mike.
0: Yeah, Jeff Scott said that this game felt like uh, South Florida was playing Clemson, except in gold helmets. (laughs) So... That's how he felt about that. What does he know about Clemson? Yeah, what the hell does he know? It's not like he's coached there or something. (laughs) Um, So that was, yeah, just totally outmatched. Um, Real quick, uh, there's not a lot to hit on in this game. Like Notre Dame's rushing attack looked really good. Ian Book looked good, efficient through the air, good on the ground, etc. South Florida, while we're talking about special teams gaps, South Florida punting was an adventure. They snapped it over the head of the punter on two separate occasions. On one occasion, poor guy got just freaking killed in the end zone now he did get the punt off to like 25 but set up Notre Dame basically in the red zone and then another play later like in the third quarter punt goes over the uh, the snap goes over the head of the punter again he goes and chases after it and he tries to get the punt off and Notre Dame had three defenders there that time so it got blocked and they just kind of rolled on in the end zone mm-hmm. it was just like it was a block party it was a touchdown party There were actually fans in the stands in South Bend. Notre Dame's one of the the few stadiums in the ACC that has fans in the stands at this point. So they were having a big party uh, in the stadium yesterday. It was just uh, the better team won and made it look not competitive, which is good considering what we saw out of Duke yesterday against Boston College and kind of Duke- you know, made Notre Dame look lethargic last week in South Bend, gave you some questions about Notre Dame. Notre Dame comes out this week, blows the doors off South Florida. It was a name your score game. They score on fourth and five, uh, fourth and goal from the five with like two minutes to go to push the game over. So like we said, we, this is one of the few games we got right in the preview, Joey. You and I both picked Notre Dame. Yep, I actually bet on the over as well yesterday. And we both said in the preview, Notre Dame might have to do most of the scoring, if not all the scoring to get over 48 themselves. And that's what they did. It just took until the fourth quarter because all the starters were pulled, etc.
1: Yeah, well, that's exactly what we said is, you know, huge spread, relatively low total. I mean, can you bank on the favorite to cover that themselves? Like they did. Um, yeah, they did. Barely, but they did. Yeah, it was 35 nothing at halftime, if you're wondering how close it ever was. But in any case, 52 uh, nothing. Notre Dame wins over South Florida. And then, Mike, Clemson, 49, the Citadel, 0. Um, Clemson and Dabo and Swinney really dancing with the devil, not covering these point spreads in blowout games. I, I feel like there's going to be some questions being asked here soon.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are. Um Clemson was shut out in the first half for the first time since they second played, half. I think it was, George, or second half, I'm sorry, for the first time since uh, they played Georgia Southern, like in 2016, I think it was. Jeez. So that was another blowout game, obviously. Um, okay, so let's talk about pros and cons of this game. Uh, pros Clemson's starters are really good. Mm-hmm. Cons the backups look a little rusty, or f- um, freshmany. Yeah, a little freshman-y. So let's talk about that for a moment. Oh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, eight of nine, 168 yards, three touchdowns through the air. Also had touchdown on the ground. He had four touchdowns to one incompletion by himself. Is that good? That's not. That's not bad, Joey. It's not <laughs> bad. Um, also, Clemson up 49 to nothing. They were 49 and a half point favorites. And to kind of circle back to your point that you initially made. Uh, where they're going to be making a lot of people really mad on a number of levels. Number one, mm-hmm. they ha- needed a half a point in 30 minutes of game play in the second half to cover, Just and a they field didn't goal. do so. Just a field goal. They couldn't even get a field goal. So if you had Clemson minus 49 and a half, I am really sorry. Um, we're probably going to be uncovering those bodies at some point today, unfortunately. And then on top of that, Joey, Dabo Swinney, and this is unfortunate for those Clemson minus 49 and a half betters. Dabo Swinney actually told the officials at halftime, Hey, go tell the Citadel that we'll do 10 minute, 10 minute gameplay in the second half running clock, which is important because like we mentioned uh, in the Pittsburgh, Austin P recap, if Pittsburgh and Austin P had played a full 60 minute game, there would have been action for everybody involved. The problem is that if you don't play 55 minutes of game action, that bet gets canceled in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So, for those Clemson minus 49-and-a-half bettors, you probably would have been real mad about that at the beginning of the half when the Citadel said, no, we'll play full 15-minute quarters. You would have been taking that at the end with that bet getting canceled because Clemson didn't score a half a point in the second half. The Citadel elects to play the full 15-minute quarters for third quarter and the fourth quarter so the bet doesn't get canceled in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And all those Clemson minus 49-and-a-half ticket holders are losers today, Joey.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So... <laughs> You know, if you, if you, if you hear something here in a few weeks about a Clemson point shaving scandal, um, we can have that conversation. Yes. Um, the other thing I was going to mention about this game, and I mean this is the minutia of all minutia to talk about with Clemson, but backup quarterback DJ Uingangalele. I don't know. Good how call. We, I don't know how we're pronouncing that, but let's just go with that. That's close. Um, not like not ideal. Um. Uh, lost a fumble there early in the second half as he took over. I, you mentioned the backups not looking super sharp for Clemson. That's kind of part of it, is that They have two, like, all-world quarterbacks backing up their all-world starter. And I'm not so sure that either of them looked all that particularly good in this game. Um, again, Unglele with uh, kind of some ball security issues. And then Tyson, Foman, <laughs> um, one for five <laughs> nice. for negative one yard. Uh, that's not great either. So something just to keep an eye on that just because they've recruited a couple of all world quarterbacks next year when there's no Trevor Lawrence anymore, I don't know that they're necessarily just fully set. We'll have to keep an eye on that.
0: (sighs) Ah, man. Trying to pronounce the Clemson backup quarterbacks is something that we're going to have to learn here soon.
1: Dabo's just trolling all of us on everything at
0: this point. Yes. Clemson wins by a lot.
1: 49, nothing. Uh, Mike, you want to give out some awards? Let's do it. All right. So we had some trouble actually coming up with a singular go AC moment of the week. and a singular Brian Van Gorder Memorial. You tried award. So we're going to do some, uh, some little different, some collective stuff. Um, The go ACC moment of the week goes to a collective set of uh, special teams gaffes. Georgia tech has another kick blocked. Pittsburgh misses two field goals and drops the snap on a third one and USF and their punter getting just annihilated, sent into a different dimension in the end zone against Notre Dame, special teams this week in ACC games, not really fully buttoned up and and well done at all.
0: And hasn't really been all that good special teams in the ACC throughout the first two weeks of the season. Not for everybody, of course, but for some of these teams. Yeah. So, you know, a few teams have yet to play, Joey, so what could possibly go wrong?
1: That's right. That's right. Well, and, and... worth mentioning too there was the question asked when they see you know oh bad punts and bad kicks and all this stuff going on what were the specialists doing those six months that they were sitting at home you can still you don't need your team to practice place kicking and punting like get the net out in the backyard and try to elevate the ball a little bit come on son anyways
0: yeah uh, they were playing a lot of Fortnite and madden (laughs) and call of duty and Not kicking.
1: Among Us, apparently, is another game the kids are playing these days.
0: Among Us, yes, that's correct.
1: What do I know about that? Uh, So go ACC to just general special teams moments across the conference. Uh, And then the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award goes to most of the conference trying to cover receivers. (laughs) Uh, Zay Flowers with his casual 25 yards of separation against the Duke defense. Uh, Georgia Tech blowing coverages against UCF. Louisville struggling to cover all five receivers at, at, at one time against Miami. It was an exercise in futility for some of these secondaries, Mike.
0: How silly for me to think mid-afternoon yesterday as I'm watching the Boston College-Duke game and I see Boston College running all over the field and Duke being like real bad. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, could – this defense get any worse in the ACC today? And then we watched three defenses that were worse Mm -hmm. in the nightcap, Mm -hmm. right? We watched Louisville's defense basically not even get off the bus. We watched Wake Forest and NC State basically just take turns going up and down the field on each other. Um, Defenses are real bad.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely leaving something to be desired in a number of these places. So uh, good on you. Just secondaries at large.
0: You tried. Uh, Went okay. We'll try again next week. Not too bad. Mike, you got a team of the week? I do. Miami Hurricanes. Hard not to pick Miami. There, there are a few actually decent candidates uh, this week. L- last week, you and I were both saying, okay, Georgia Tech over Florida State because we were thinking Georgia Tech was going to be really bad this year. Yep. Um, but this week, it's a little bit more difficult because there are a few teams that kind of jumped up and won games that we weren't necessarily expecting them to. Yep. Uh, but my team of the week is Miami for how they look start to finish offensively, defensively. Against a really good Louisville offense, I thought Miami's defense held their own for the most part um, against M. Cunningham because he's still trying to figure out his own name. Name that Cunningham, so, yeah. Yeah, name that Cunningham. Uh, yeah, so my team of the week's Miami. Really impressive performance top to bottom.
1: I, I think that's a good pick, and that's a team, honestly, that in most weeks I would pick. Um, so shout out Cam. I don't hate Miami this week. I thought they played really well. I'm going to pick another team just for the sake of, of kind of including others in the positivity. I'm going to go with NC State. Breaking a six-game conference losing streak, um, coming off of a, a tough off season, kind of coming out with a different quarterback than expected, all that stuff, it, I mean, throw all the other context out. I don't care it was against Wake. I don't care that it was a close win, all that. You know, it might be the only game they win all year. Who knows? But broke the losing streak, got a win in a game we didn't think that they would, proved that they were correct, as you know, correctly picked as the favorite. So, NC State, my team of the week. Good on you, Wolfpack. Well done. I'm not a hater, I promise. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. The uh, The honorable mention here for me is Boston College as well. Starting off the oh, Jeff yeah. Halfley era with a, uh, again, a, in a big way. So good job. Uh, player of the week. Mike, who you got?
0: I'm going to stay consistent. Uh, D.R. King, 18 of 30, 325, three touchdowns. Going to just hang with my Miami pick. You want to mention honorable mentions, though? Phil Djokovic, first start in Boston College, 17 of 23, 300 yards, two touchdowns. He's my honorable mention, Joey.
1: Uh, I'm going to stick with Boston College as mine. I'm going to take Zay Flowers
0: yeah Man, huge, i like
1: it huge game he caused duke all sorts of issues and, and really was the thing that made the whole boston college offensive engine run that you know this week so uh, i will take him um honorable mention uh i feel i feel gross picking jv and hawkins uh so i'm not gonna do and that in a loss
0: in a losing effort
1: yeah maybe brevin jordan yeah real I mean, nice game speaking of guys that weren't really getting covered but he made the most of it oh. yeah i'll say he's a problem. Um, so yeah. All right. Good stuff. Mike, that's all I got in week two. Anything else?
0: I think we're good, man. That was a, uh, a fun week of football. I'm really looking forward to week three in the ACC with in week four for rest of college football. Yeah. Um, we get the sec back next week, which look, I know ACC is God's conference and everything, Mm -hmm. but, um, the SEC, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing some of those games next Saturday, so that'll be fun.
1: Yeah, it'll be better for football watching. Also, the Big 12 makes their return after like just randomly taking a week off. I guess I don't really yes. know where that
0: went. Yeah, oh, Oklahoma State kind of took a week off. They, they were the only team I think that played out of Big 12 yesterday, and they basically took a week off and damn near lost to Tulsa, which
1: they uh, they they took the opportunity to uh, make an ass of themselves in front of the entire rest of the conference, which is great. So, right, yeah. So, shout ugly. out to Desmond Howard again, thinking that. Oklahoma State's going to take down Clemson in the playoff. I mean, stranger things have happened, I suppose, but I'm not betting on that. Put it that way.
0: Yes. Uh, You know, in in his defense, I'm sure he was expecting Oklahoma State to not struggle with Tulsa yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's a pick that he'd like to have back at this point in time.
1: No kidding. Yeah, interesting lineup next week. We're going to come back and talk about week three in the ACC. Uh, We're going to have Louisville at Pittsburgh, uh, Florida State at Miami, uh, Virginia Tech and Virginia get their seasons underway at long last. We
0: back baby we back.
1: We are back um, so yeah stay with us come back and uh, we will preview those games here in a few days. In the meantime y'all can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey he is at Mike McDaniel VT and together we're at BC Podcast ACC y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man Podcast at gmail.com Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, all those good places, uh, wherever you can find podcasts. And, uh, Mike, you want to know they can find us on the social medias?
0: Uh, yeah, Facebook. Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference Rate Review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do.
1: Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything
0: else? On to week three in the ACC, Joey. On to week three. You want to come back and preview those games? I do, man, because Virginia Tech is back. That's They're right. back. Yeah. At home, under the lights. Hell yeah! You going? You gonna be there? Yeah, no media, as far as we know, so probably hmm. not.
1: Well, if you can't get the free pass, you're certainly not buying one. So that's
0: correct. Yeah, because <laughs> Tech's not letting any fans in the stands, unfortunately.
1: So. There you go. Well, it is what it is for these these days. But in any yep. case, all right, Mike. Well, we will talk then. Yep. All right. Well, until next time, for Mister Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon, and until then, go ACC. Yeah!